Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chat. Chapter 74 of the Corona Diaries, and oh my giddy aunt, we're nearly at 75. Wow. Wow, wow. How's that happened? How's that happened? I don't know. Tenacity, I, I suspect, has brought that about, and, uh, and a realisation that, uh, that we can't stop. We're going <laughs> to have to stop at some point. Oh. We can't stop, can we? I don't know how you stop now. I don't, do you know what? It's a good question because every time we get messages, they they it's oh I love this. This is brilliant. This makes my week. Don't ever stop. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but bloody hell. Yeah, I know. I know. It was only a bit of fun <laughs> a year <laughs> ago. A couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't believe it. <laughs> On the subject of oh, 75, no. I, de- I decided, it was slightly scripted that, I decided I was going to say, oh, my giddy aunt, just because I like the phrase. And I thought, well, i better check that it's not going to f- offend anybody, not that that's ever worried us in the past. But it isn't offensive. It isn't so- it's apparently a phrase you can use in front of the vicar. Oh. So well, in I that case... if one has an aunt, like, you know, Oscar Wilde probably had one, um, she's probably occasionally giddy. Um hmm. But why, why you'd then exclaim that? Uh, perhaps because it's a rare occasion. Perhaps one's aunt's aunt is so rarely giddy that when she is, it's, it's a thing. It's to be exclaimed. Gosh, well, I can't possibly make a breakfast, darling. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Yeah. There's actually a website called ohmygiddyant.com.au, which I'm assuming makes it Australian. Yeah. Oh, my giddyant. <laughs> and it's got some other quirky, largely Australian sayings on there. <laughs> and, the t- and the first one is a face like a half-sucked mango. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> for not very pretty a few kangaroos loose in the top paddock <laughs> which is for not very smart <laughs> which is which i really like there's a lot of others that translate so bob's your uncle and things like that that we use carry on like a pork chop which means being very silly oh. um oh, that's a curious one don't come the raw prawn ah which is which is for not being disagreeable. Oh. Um, so I quite I quite like that. So right. and, the, and the rest the rest are fairly much like ours. Um, apart from you're a happy little Vegemite, <laughs> which is as bright as bright can be. So I'll put the, I'll put the link uh, I'll put the link on the not oh, the, you know, said it? it out loud, but I'll put the link on for omigiddyant.com.au. Maybe that's where the line he just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. In, Could have uh, been. Down, down, down under. 
because yeah. I never really understood that line. I mean, obviously, I know they eat Vegemite in Australia, but that could have been a, like a double entendre on happiness. Yes. Yes. Here we go. You learn something every morning. There you are. Flashes a rat with a gold tooth. There you are. <laughs> when you think yourself very dashing. Flashes a rat with a gold tooth. I like that a lot as well. <laughs> That's a good one. That's up there. I like that. And I, and I really liked a few kangaroos loose in the top paddock. Well, the T-shirts just keep coming, don't they, Ant? <laughs> they, just, they just keep coming. Uh, it's amazing what you find when you check you're not going to offend people. Anyway, um, we... Uh, oh, um, Patrick, Patrick, mm. uh, Jacques from last week. Patrick, Jacques. Uh, Jacques. I wonder if you pronounce the S or whether you just Jacques. But I, anyway. Well, he liked your pronunciation, so I think you must have <laughs> nailed it. He got back he was, in touch with me. Uh, he was quite taken, actually. Oh, he's just, in, he's just humouring me. Thank you, Patrick, for humouring um, me. Well, he was over the moon. He was over the moon that you, you, you mentioned that we mentioned it and you covered it and you made such a great fist of... Um, <laughs> that's... that's Poor pornographers. <laughs> <laughs> a great fist of pronouncing his name. Oh, it's not easy making a great fist at this time of the morning, is it? When you... It's it caused a bit of a surprise. When you're building up your strength. I bet the Australians have got a phrase for it. <laughs> I do like flashes of right with the gold tooth. That a, <laughs> That's that great, a, isn't a it? It's a cracker. It's a, it is a cracker. Anyway, oh, anyway. Yes. Uh, do you know what else I like that I've been meaning to use more and haven't got around to it is cool beans. Yes. As an expression. I yes. must, must use that more. Anyway, carry um, on. Somebody also pointed out that that line of yours that I had, I really liked about cool trip, it's one better letter away from... Buy, better buy one letter than a school trip. Yeah. Somebody pointed out that actually... School is two letters different from cool. Yeah, I won't dignify that with a response. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, leave, let's leave that one. There you are. You found out how far you can push, push your singer on a Monday morning. <laughs> that far. That's how far you can push him. That far. Oh, right. Well, back to, back to radiation. Uh, we're going to try and get to business today because last week's ended up being an hour and 20 minutes long and uh we yeah we um what we what was the word we waffled didn't we we Far did waffle too long we didn't get to the meat it no was just and like we forgot a waffle sandwich with no meat in it yes there was yes it was it was but, lots of vegemite nothing but, else very thin slice of 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 that kind of processed turkey that nonetheless was past its sell-by date. Well, maybe it wasn't. I'm, bit, maybe I'm, I'm being a bit harsh now. Yeah, I think it was <laughs> slightly got... better than that. Yes, yes. <laughs> CCD73, slightly better than out-of-date processed turkey. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's because this band I'm in is so imbued with self-hate. And uh, the, the, it rubs off after a while. Yeah. Um, there's one thing being kept on the, you know, being kept down to earth. And there's another thing being buried alive. But there we are. Mm. Carry on. Yes, yeah, so carry on. I'm anyway, not referring back. to, I mean, I'm, what I'm referring, well, I won't even tell you what I'm referring to because 
uh, I won't. Um, you can. There's nobody listening. Well, it's just that it's just that Tim, the the excellent Tim Sidwell, has made um, a sort of documentary about uh, holidays in Eden, which mm-hmm. is going to go in the new re-release of Holidays in Eden when looking War- forward to that Warner's release it next year, the one uh, Steve Taylor uh, remixed, and it it sounds great. It's done a great job, and Tim's done a great job. And there's all this interview footage, which is just so self-critical that I've had to ask him to re-edit it because it just comes across like, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not what we think, but it comes across, it gives the impression that, that everybody thought the album was a huge mistake. <laughs> And you've kind of bought this record, and here's the guys who created it. You know, it's a bit like buying a Mercedes, and and there being a note on the pass, you know, brand new, and there being a note on the passenger seat, you know, from the Mercedes design team. So we're we're sorry about this. The steer is loose, and the engine's shit. Uh, you know, you don't, do you? No. Um, so. We just we we it, it just needed a bit of a, a, a re-edit so that overall, um, you know, any criticisms are 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 positive. Um, I might have to even edit this out now. <laughs> no, I no. Do you know what? This is really interesting actually because I here's the thing. So I'm I can come from a fan's perspective here, particularly from that point in time, um, and I think Holidays is a great record. Well, I've met people who do. I've met, you know, and I've met people who you wouldn't expect to say that who said it. Uh, most notably, Yannick Gertz, the guitar player from Iron from, uh, Maiden. Iron Maiden, one of his favourite albums. Mm. You know, and you just think, <laughs> get your head around that. Um, so, I think basically the band don't know shit. And that's nothing new. And but I do include myself, and in that, you know, when you create something, you get so, um, you know, the memories you have of it are not of it. They're of what you felt at a certain time, what you were worried about. Um, you can get a thing into your head um, that really is so much to do with your own process. And nothing to do with what people would hear if they just put that song on. And that perhaps never goes away. It just remains... uh, Because we don't all sit around all day long listening to our own music, uh, you just have this memory of how you felt about it. Christ knows how long ago, you know. Um, So you you can have a completely different perspective on on something for instance uh just to point the 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 barrel of the gun firmly straight at me i always thought the no one can video was rubbish and i saw it the other day and i thought actually that's lovely and Mm. you know i'm pretty good in it as well and i remember feeling not not totally comfortable when i was doing it and therefore, or I hadn't seen it for 30 years, I just thought, oh, well, that, that wasn't a very good one. And you can feel like that about something forever, and then you see it one day and go, oh, what the hell was I on? That, that's actually really 
lovely. If it was anybody else's video, I'd think, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, you can you can do that. You get a thing in your head based on what you thought at the time or where you were at at the time or what you were going through at the time. And uh, it can, it can colour your judgment and um, sometimes you'd give your right arm just to be a person who heard something that you've made for the first time and that's all mm. there was. There was just the music. There wasn't the process or, or, you know, whether you wished you'd moved something two centimetres to the left or the right. There's just it, you know, and there's a person reacting to that. Um I saw a thing that Mosley sent me about John Lennon and he's, <laughs> all the Beatles songs he didn't like. And it was nearly all of them. All of them. <laughs> I mean, nearly. He just thought, what? You know, all these incredible songs. Oh, I didn't like that. And I didn't like anything. God. I know, I, you know, be, maybe it's just the same for everyone. Hmm. You know, when you're in a band. Um I mean, the stuff he didn't like was, you know, he, he didn't like some of their best work. Mm. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand up and I'll, I'll wave the flag for holidays and I'll always wave the flag for holidays. What? Because I think it's um, the stuff in there that is still for me some of the, 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 the best stuff that you know he's played live. Um, you know, I've always thought that this town trilogy is great live. I've always thought Splendor and Heart was great live. I mean, Splintering Heart, absolutely, you know, killer, killer opening track, hmm. uh, you know, on, on a live set. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with anything on the album album itself. No One Can should have been a Stonewall hit. It was written to be radio-friendly. The video supports exactly what it was, it was meant to be, and it should have been a Stonewall hit. And I think of all the other bands it could have been a hit for. Even now, uh, I, I, can't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And even now when I hear it, it sounds like something that was it. That was a hit. In nineteen ninety two. Yeah. It really yeah. does. It still sounds like it was a hit, even yeah. though I know it wasn't. Uh not only should it have been, it's just kind of I don't know. It's it's a hit record. It's a hit song. Without and a it, shadow of a doubt. Um uh, you know, and it's it's been produced absolutely perfectly for mm. what it is, and everything you need is there, mm. um, except the fact that the general public probably didn't really get to hear it. Mm. And am I really fucked up with that? Because they, yes, be it, you know, with your record company hat on, you just say, well, we missed an opportunity there to make a shitload of money yeah. for years and years and years and years. And yes, it might have split the band, um, and and it, it it might certainly not be a bad thing that it wasn't a hit from our point of view now, looking way back. But that doesn't alter the fact that it was one. Well, that album then, that album then would have, to me, would have sold in the same way some of the Genesis material around the time sold. Yeah, and it it would have. What would have been lovely from my point of view would be that it would have it would have equaled or surpassed misplaced mm. as as an album um, and that would have been great because mm. that would have put us back in a position where uh, 
all that looking over your shoulder at past glory was really what you, you wouldn't be doing that. No. You know, it'd be on your shoulder, not, not, not over it. Um, and that's a shame. But then I'm the only one in the band that really feels that. I mean, Rothers made an, an interesting point when he was being interviewed, which was that they'd had commercial success and it hadn't been very nice. You know, and they hadn't enjoyed that part of it nearly as much as just being in a band and doing what they do. Suddenly it was all turned into something else. You know, it was soured by outside influence and, and the success and the pressure cooker and the now it's got to be like this, now it's got to be like this. Um, and so I, I don't think Rothers was or is in any hurry for that to be in that position again. Whereas I'd love to just taste it once because I never have. And then I could tell everybody what a load of shit it was and how I hated it. But I'd, I'd just like the chance to do it. <laughs> um, or maybe, maybe that's not even true now, but, but when I was a bit younger, I, 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 would have en I would have liked the chance to do it. Where, where we're at now... You know, fingers crossed, if, if everybody reacts to this next album the way I'm hoping they will, because it is a cracker, trust me, um, then we're better, much better off in the position we're mm. in than being a bunch of pop stars. But, but the thing where I struggle still is to suggest that Holidays in Eden is not a Marillion record or that it's a pop record is actually is a sweeping generalisation that doesn't stand up to any kind of scrutiny. But to, to suggest that Splintering Heart isn't a Marillion track or that this, the this Town trilogy aren't Marillion tracks or that The Party isn't a Marillion track and that it's just pop, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's mass-produced pop, is is really disingenuous to that album and to that material. Yeah, and it's irrelevant. As well, really, isn't it? I mean, people will always debate about uh, creative work and, and which is their favourite thing and which is their least favourite thing and wish, you know, and what they think, what they wished the band had done instead or not done. Um, I mean, a great example would be comparing Let's Dance to uh, Unky Dory. Mm. You know, two amazing David Bowie albums, poles apart. One, you know, I mean, for me, Hunky Dory is it. Um, but um, to say Let's Dance was not a David Bowie album is, is, is ludicrous, you know. It, would, it absolutely was a David Bowie album and there's some amazing stuff on there, you know. Um, um, I catch a paper boy. Modern Love, the opening mm. track, is just great. And uh, Ricochet is just great. I love Ricochet. Uh, I would play it with the with Marillion tomorrow. I would, you know, if, if we were looking for a cover, I'd go, let's do Ricochet. It's, what a crap, what a track. Um, China Girl and all of that. So there we are. Who? Mm. I mean, who cares what people think? You know, you, your work is your work. There is some really good inter interview footage with uh, Chris Neal, the mm. producer, um, as part of that package. 
and it was lovely watching watching his interview. Um, he's such a nice man. He's so funny as well, uh, I, but he's thoughtful as well. You know, he's deep. Um, so he was he was caught, you know, in many ways between he'd got Nick Gatfield the. A&R man from EMI whispering in his ear saying, I, got, I want this band on the radio. I want this band on top of the pops again. Um, and he then he'd got, then he'd got the band, you know, like, oh, don't want to be pop stars, you know, hey, don't make it too poppy, you know, oh, I don't like that, oh, I'd like to spend more time on the keyboards. Um, and, and then he'd got his own, you, you know, his own, I think he was probably quite conflicted because Chris has just got pop sensibilities and commercial instincts that like they're written through him like, like Seaside Rock. Um, but at the same time, he knew he got to be a bit careful in case he alienated our fan base. He didn't, he didn't want to be the person who knackered Marillion. So he was. I think he was walking a. He was walking his own mm. tightrope, just making that record. Um, but I think he did a fine job. I think it's an amazing sounding record. I think Rob Eaton did a fine job engineering it and recording it. Um, and in many ways, to me, when I when I heard the mixes the first time, I remember thinking, "This is what records are supposed to sound like." And Seasons End didn't sound like what a record's supposed to sound like to me. This is what a record is supposed to sound like. It just sounds like a record. Uh, now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is open to endless debate. But I, I'm, I thought Holidays in Eden was fantastic as a, you know, as a sound. Um, if it had been anyone else... I would have been impressed. Um, and that's all there is to it. Mm. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Well, no, we're, no, we're here to talk about radiation, but it was interesting. That is, though, a really interesting insight into that because obviously with you producing that documentary, that's just brought the whole thing up again. And for me, it's I'll always be passionate about uh, Holidays because it was the first album as a Marillion fan I waited for. Because I, mm. I came to the band and, and Season's End was already out. So this is the first album I, you know, and I discovered all the back catalogue and all the other stuff around the same time. So this is the first one I waited for. Right. So it'll always be special to me because it came in, in the kind of dribs that you get when you get, and I got the, the thing of, of buying it on the first day and all those kind of, all those kind of things. So, uh, you know, and I was, I was getting the, the web magazine through, so I was hearing snippets of it as we were going. Because obviously, you know, it wasn't like now where you, you're keeping an audience updated. You were getting snippets of information about it. Hmm. Um, and so for me, it's, in that respect, it's really, it's really special. And, and, and the album's great and the, the B-sides were great. I think the B-sides are two of the best B-sides that the band ever, ever produced. What was uh, that? The release and the Bell in the uh, Sea? No, their season's end. It's um, how can it hurt and uh, walk on? I will walk on water. All oh, right, yeah. Well, I will walk on water was the song that 
that got Dave Megan interested in working with us, believe it or not. That was the one. He oh, I like that. Oh, I like that walk on water. <laughs> I'd be interested to meet them, yes. So, considering it was the B-side, you know, and viewed as the runt of the litter to some extent, then, then it's again, that's that difference between what it's like being on the inside, having a journey towards a song, uh, and what it's like being on the outside, just hearing what it is, rather than what it might have been, what it was, what it wasn't, whether it was rain in the day you recorded it, whether your missus had given you a hard time, you know, whether you were heartbroken or thrilled to bits or, or whatever you were. Yeah. How big your shirt was. Exactly. Well, in my case, usually huge. And billowing. <laughs> I bet the Australians have got a phrase <laughs> big, for it. Big enough for two. <laughs> Cobber. Um, <laughs> well, while we're on this, when is, when is that... Um, how far away are we from that release? I think it'll be next year. So is, that the, it, is that the next one? Uh, yes. Holidays in Eden is next. I think Fugazi's only just come out, hasn't it? It has. It's only, it's, yes. Steve Taylor made a great job of the remix. I'll be really interested... To hear what being is that that album's precious to it'll be interesting to see what you make of the remix. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's pretty faithful to the original, but it does sound really good. Well, I know what you mean about the original sounding different. I mean, I could Seasons End sounds a bit like clutching in terms of the overall sound of it. I can I can plot a path, you know, comfortably from misplaced to clutching to Seasons End, but Holidays sonically sounds different. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and, and like you say, uh, very much in keeping with the time, the production was exactly what I would expect from the time. And one of the reasons why I think it still sounds so good now, um, mm. you know, so I'd be very, very keen to hear that. I think the other thing as well is, if you remember, um, you know, we'd got, a, we'd got a bit of this town. See, the very first time I, I saw you live, which were the Christmas shows, after Seasons End Talks, I didn't see you on Seasons End Tour. I saw you on the Christmas show, the Seasons Greeting shows. And, of course, you played Splintering Heart and you played This Town. Right. And then the next time I hear This Town was the same Christmas I got the Stoke Road to Ipanema video, VHS, no less. Right, with us playing it in Stanbridge's. Was, yes. Right, with that other kind of rhythm and the... Yeah. It was a so bit it, more hooey, wasn't it? The yeah. One, the approach to it. And then uh, Chris sort of straightened it out. Mm. Into more of a boom cat, boom cat, boom cat yeah. thing. Where, you know, it was more of a boom, boom, cat, boom, boom, cat, cat yeah. originally. Um, again, you know, there are factions in the band that preferred the raw, the rawness of that. Um, mm. And um, and so yeah, that did that 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 changed. It stayed the same, but it changed. So yeah, I'm. I'm. So that's next year, right? Because I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited when that lasts. Yeah, it's 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 a good package and yeah. uh, worth it alone for the Chris Neal interview. Hmm. Yes, because again, he's somebody that drops in and out of the Merlion story, isn't he? Is he? Well, I mean, he comes in briefly and drops out again, and then that's it. He's not. There's not. Oh, you I see about, what you mean. Yeah, think yeah, about the number yeah, of people was... who reoccur in the Merlion story. Yeah, he's... Chris just came and went. Yeah. 
Yeah, but we're still very fond of him. It's not like uh, he didn't disappear under a cloud or anything. We we still talk very fondly about him when mm. you know when his name comes up in conversation. We ought to get him on here. He ought to come and if yeah, he's, that if he's, could if be if he's nice, funny, it? You know, oh, he is. He's a bloody scream. Well, that's good because I mean, you know, we're marginally funny, but I don't think we're proper funny. Oh, he taught me some terribly rude songs. I don't know if I can remember. <laughs> Croomcast. <laughs> The Chris Neal Blue Croon. <laughs> the Blue Cast. The Blue Croon. Blue Croon. <laughs> Two shades of lipstick on an old French letter. A dose of syphilis that won't get better. These foolish things. Yeah, yeah. He had a great, he had a great rewrite of these foolish things. <laughs> Something about a, a blood-stained dildo in a London taxi or something of a horse's <laughs> jacksy. Um, <laughs> these foolish things remind me of you. Uh, yeah, I can't remember it all. Oh, we need oh, Chris God. on here. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're we'll getting to sing this song. <laughs> oh, TCD is missing, Chris. There's no doubt whatsoever. <laughs> Oh well, look. I think we. I think we ought to just go straight into diary. <laughs> I think we should Sorry, abandon talking about radiation. You well, we keep trying. We, we keep skimming off it. Well, no, we'll come back to it next week. It's fine. But we've we'll done, be back. We've, we've done twenty nine minutes and we haven't got to the main topic. <laughs> so let's let's put. But this is good because actually, it's a bit of an update on on holidays. I think it's a real interesting insight, and I think we've worked out that we're going to get Chris on the. Uh, on on the on the pod at some point, which will be great. So I think we'll just disappear off into 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 diary now. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm trying to remove some of that Chris Neal imagery from my mind now. Um, <laughs> Don't let it permeate in. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it comes. Looks like we're off to Holland. Nineteen ninety six. Sunday, twenty first of April. Home, Hilversum, Utrecht. Woke at six fifty, but dozed determinedly until seven thirty when I decided I couldn't leave it any longer. Went downstairs and made myself a list of what not to forget, showered and cleaned my teeth. Sophie appeared and wished me good morning. Today is Sunday, so she disappeared into the lounge to watch the TV while I carried on putting my things into little piles en route to the suitcase and Europe. I was expecting a car to Heathrow at 8.30. I made Sue a cup of tea. The suitcases are jammed into a noisy cupboard in our bedroom, so I knew I would wake her in the process of retrieving one. As I made my way upstairs, there was a knock on the front door. It was my driver come to pick me up at eight. I'd got it wrong again. I now have a tradition of not packing until the car arrives. I went upstairs and chatted to Sue for a few minutes to tell her I will miss her while I'm away and noisily dislodged my Delcy from its hiding place. Finished packing and said my goodbyes and drove to Heathrow via Bicester where we picked up Stuart, our engineer. The morning was truly the first day of spring, 
A wide open, sunny, warm morning at last. The winter has made us wait until now. At Heathrow, I bumped into Dan and Dana Sherman, our American fan club presidents, flown in from Chicago for the European shows. They presented me with a red rose from Min, an English fan whose marriage they had attended yesterday in Cambridge. And so the madness begins again. I checked in and gave my passport back to Paul. After Poland, I'm nervous about trusting myself with it. That was mistake number two. When I got to the gate, they wanted to see it, so I was detained until Paul arrived from duty-free. I sat at the front of the Boeing 737, in between Ian and Mark, for the short flight to Amsterdam Schiphol, relaxing in anticipation of the days ahead. We were met at the airport by two chaps from the record company, Direco. Hello, said one. I'm Hype. Hmm, do you do promotion? Equipped? No, I'm the product manager. Perhaps the joke was wearing a bit thin. I didn't pursue it. It turned out he was called Hybe, not Hype. So no wonder he didn't even pretend to be amused. Not that it was funny anyway. We were driven in a minibus, which looked like a stealth bomber, to Hilversum, my second surprise of the day. I thought we were going to Utrecht to check into the hotel and freshen up. Not possible. At Hilversum, we arrived outside a radio station where there were a small group of fans waiting with album covers and magic markers. When I say album covers, I mean CD wallets. Vinyl is now very much a medium of the past. I entered into the radio station, marvelling at the fact that the fans always seem to know where we are, until I discovered that today's show includes a small invited audience of 90 or so people. The studio area was set out like a little nightclub, complete with stage and bar. I immediately warmed to the situation. The staff seemed to know their gig, and we sound-checked without any trouble. There was a row of Martin wedges along the front of the stage, which effortlessly provided us with a good monitor sound. We all went downstairs and sat in the sunshine of a perfect spring afternoon, waiting the two hours before we were on air. I chatted to René, Peter and Rhinus from the Dutch fan club about my solo plans, wondering if I was once again opening my big mouth too soon. When we returned to the studio, it was full of people, a great many of whom I recognised. I chatted and signed bits of paper, CD inserts, arms and legs, and posed for photographs with various fans before doing a short interview with the programme DJ. And then we were on stage. I started with a piano and vocal version of Cover My Eyes before introducing Pete for a bass guitar and vocal rendition of The Bell in the Sea. Beautiful followed with the whole band, and then Easter, Sugar Mice and Made Again. All were received with enthusiastic applause by our little audience. Afterwards, I was given a birthday present by Inga and Natasha, regular contributors to the Dutch fan club magazine. It was a pair of jangly vibe balls, blue with little Chinese peace signs on them. I thanked them and we headed off to a restaurant to have dinner with the record company people and with Yvonne and Yvette from Rondor, my publishers, in Amsterdam. I was interviewed during dinner for some magazine or other and escaped for a little walk in the warm evening air 
when nobody was looking. I found a couple of great furniture shops at the end of the street containing a lovely old coffee table, a fantastic sofa and a few light fittings to die for. I have a weakness for lights. Fortunately, the shops were closed or I'd have been in debt by now. I returned to the meal. Half the band were pleasantly sloshed, but I remained sober for the next radio interview at 10pm, where we were to play a short live set with acoustic guitars and vocals. This was a much more intimate affair in a small radio control room. I was monitoring on headphones, and no one else, including the DJ, had a clue what was going on. What I was hearing sounded good, though. I'm singing well at the moment, and there's a relaxed feeling in the band a little bit like when I first joined. The three-month break has done us all good, I think. We finally emerged from the radio station around 11.30 and were driven to Utrecht to check into the Hotel Smits. Called home and said goodnight to Dizzy before climbing into a much-needed bath and then going to bed, waking at various times of the night, wondering where I was. Monday, 22nd of April. Utrecht. Woke up at 8.40, only 7.40 in England, and couldn't get back to sleep. So much for the lie-in. Got up and showered and called home to say hello to Sophie and Niall before they went off to school. I made my way to the breakfast room where breakfast was being cleared away and managed to grab a pot of coffee and some bread and cheese before it was removed. Retired to the adjoining bar, and spent an hour or so writing this diary before I was accosted by a couple of boys from Switzerland who had made the journey to Holland to see us and who were staying in the hotel. I talked to them for quite some time about the state of things in general, people's goals and ambitions, the shape of the planet and the folly of measuring success in terms of growth. I showed Francois, who played a little bit of piano, how to play the chords of the hollow man. Returned to my room and called my mum. It's her birthday today. She sounded fine. Bumped into Paul Lewis, who was on his way out to have coffee in the sunshine of another excellent day. We found a cafe by a canal where Mark Kay and Manu, Mark's girlfriend, were already sitting. I was soon driven back indoors by hay fever. For some reason, the week of my mother's birthday is a bad pollen week for me and every year, no matter where I happen to be, I have a couple of days of sore eyes and sneezing. I called home again. Things are pretty difficult at the moment between Sue and me. My enforced absences make everything worse. I put down the phone feeling terrible and went back to bed to try to sleep. Gave up around three in the afternoon and went back out for a walk found a bank and changed up a few guilders before making my way to the music centrum to prepare for soundcheck. All things considered, soundcheck ran fairly smoothly. This is the first show since last November. New monitor man Andy seems to be on top of his gig. I returned to the hotel around seven and slept for another hour before returning to the show. The place was packed and as we mounted the stage, the 2,000 or so crowd put up a roar which sounded like a stadium gig. We had the odd memory lapse here and there, but on the whole we played well and I felt I was singing as well as ever. Each song was rapturously received and the atmosphere during the show really defies description. 
as they say, you had to be there. Afterwards, I stayed up far too late, talking to the Dutch fan club and drinking with the Rondor mob. Fell into bed exhausted in the middle of the night. Tuesday, 23rd of April. Cologne, Everk. Woken by the telephone at 7.45. It was Paul to say we will leave at 8.30 to take cabs to Schiphol. I don't know what it is about this airport, but I always seem to feel like a corpse whenever I'm here. This morning was a good case in point. We checked in and went through passport control, twice, and x-ray machines, twice. Security's tight this morning. Walked about 10 miles to gate B4, where the cafe was closed and the vending machines were out of order. Just like England. We were to fly to Dusseldorf in a light aeroplane, but Dusseldorf Airport had burnt down a couple of days ago, so we were diverted to Dortmund, where we were to hire cars to drive to Cologne. The turboprop rattled its way down onto the tarmac at Dortmund. The stewardess happened to be sitting immediately opposite me and looked extremely nervous as we landed, heaving a discreet sigh of relief once we were down. Maybe she knew something that we didn't. When the stewardesses look nervous, that's the time to worry. For some reason, customs seemed nervous too and detained several people to ask questions and open bags. I was asked where I had come from. It seemed like an odd question. Everyone had been on the same plane. I snoozed as we drove for an hour down the motorway to Cologne and then checked into the Ascot Hotel, closed the curtains and went to bed until Paul called at 3.30 to leave for soundcheck. The e-work, as its name implies, was once a power plant of some kind and is situated on the edge of the city in an industrial area. The Germans have done a typically first-rate job of converting the building into a nightclub perfectly designed for rock and roll. I looked around the place, quietly lamenting the fact that no one in England would ever spend this kind of money on and attention to a rock club. Contemporary music is now one of Britain's top five exports and yet the industry receives nothing in the way of financial support or even a cursory nod of respect from the politicians or establishment. The Exchequer receives millions upon millions from live and recorded pop and rock music in the UK. Why haven't we got a national rock radio station? Why hasn't each major town and city subsidised a purpose-built club where up-and-coming bands can play? Why doesn't each major town and city provide rehearsal facilities for bands to hone their talent? They do in Germany. The British Arts Council annually pumps millions into opera, which earns the country nothing, and for the most part employs and exploits the work of non-British talent. Why not build the country a few venues like the Eberg? Oh well, might as well ask him to cancel a missile project for all the good it would do. Rant over. Back to the gig. I made my way downstairs and had a spot of dinner with John and Pete. We hadn't brought caterers with us, so the food was supplied locally and cooked by a German chef who shattered the myth about German cooking by serving up a first-rate mushroom soup with a not-at-all-bad second course to follow. Soundcheck went without a hitch. I was still tired from last night's scarcity of sleep 
so I returned to the Ascot and went back to bed for another hour under the big chandelier in room 104. The gig was sold out at around 2,700. As I was about to go on stage, bending down to fasten my boots, I was given a friendly slap on the backside by our promoter, Peter Rieger. I've come to like Peter over the years. He has a streak of insanity about him to which the people around him sometimes fall victim. He seems to do himself more damage than anyone else, though. I know the feeling. Unfortunately, tonight was to be blighted by technical problems. They centred around the guitar radio systems, which, combined with Steve's current curse of breaking guitar strings in the solos, more or less put paid to the last song of the set, 100 Nights. This took the wind out of our sails at the most crucial point in the show, and I was pretty upset about it. I was reminded of the Toronto show on the Afraid of Sunlight tour, which went west for the same reasons. Some people live and learn. Fortunately for us, the crowd was not easily discouraged and gave us a warm welcome back to the stage for two encores, which were to save the day. Thank you, Cologne. You were terrific. Last time I played here, a few years back, I experienced several supernatural phenomena. I was thrown inexplicably to the floor several times during the show and during 100 nights, oddly enough, a butterfly fluttered down from the ceiling and landed on my shoulder. It's the only time I've ever seen a butterfly in a nightclub. To my relief, there were no such strange happenings tonight. After the show, I signed a few things in the hall and we returned to the Ascot, where I phoned home to wish Sue good night. We had arranged to have a drink with the record company chaps, but I was worn out and it hadn't been a good phone call home, so I went to bed. Wednesday, 24th of April, Cologne to Paris, La Cigale. Woken by Paul at some unholy hour of the morning for yet another early departure. The cumulative physical excesses of the shows, combined with not enough sleep, and a state of increasing domestic unhappiness and mental exhaustion left me in not the best of spirits as I staggered down the single flight of stairs from the first floor to reception. I thanked the staff and paid my extras like an automaton, emerging into the street and ducking the oncoming cyclists in the cycling lane, which always catches me out every time I leave the Ascot. I sat in the back of the car and told everyone I would probably be quieter than usual today. At Cologne Airport, John and Paul got rid of the hire cars and checked us in for the short flight to Paris, which I can't remember at all. We arrived at Charles de Gaulle in a different terminal to the usual 60s Thunderbirds affair I'm used to. This one's newer and a little reminiscent of the beautiful and modern airport at Barcelona. We walked the short distance to the train terminal where Paul bought tickets for the Paris Gare du Nord. The hotel is right across the street from Le Gare du Nord, so the train is quicker and easier than taking a cab through Paris's famously congested roads. As we emerged from the station, it began to rain, despite being quite a sunny day. It almost felt as though my state of mind had brought the rain on, like it was my own cloud. We checked into the Libertel and I made my way upstairs into the maze of corridors where room numbers seemed to bear no relation to their position. 
Finding your room is made even trickier by the wallpaper in the corridors, which challenges the perspective and makes you feel like you're trapped inside a crystal or a set of encyclopedias. Go and have a look. I eventually found my room and called home. No answer. I left a message on the machine and hung up. My urge to wander up to Montmartre and have lunch on the hill was outweighed by an inability to summon the will to move. So I lay on the bed in limbo until 3.30 when Paul called. I told him I would rather walk the half mile to La Cigale than go by car. So he arranged cabs for the rest of the band and said he would accompany me on foot. At around 3.45, Paul and I wandered our way through the streets of Paris in the approximate direction of the gig. The rain had given way to occasional sunshine as we walked along Montmartre's back streets. We eventually intersected the Boulevard de Rochewart, and I recognised the wide avenue. Memories came flooding back of the Manor Mobile parked outside La Cigale back in 94 when Dave Megan recorded the Brave shows. Outside the venue, there were already a clutch of fans waiting and I was politely mobbed with that combination of affection and restraint that seems to come as second nature to the French. I signed sleeves and tickets and posed for snapshots while Paul patiently looked on before entering the theatre. It was good to be back here. It's always a private achievement to return to the place where you've had a great gig in the past and feel the ghosts and echoes going off in your mind as you look around. There's also the additional boost of knowing that a Marillion crowd awaits. Our audience are so faithful that there's a good chance of repeating the experience again tonight. The atmosphere will probably live up to my best expectations. I made my way backstage and up three flights of steep wooden stairs to the catering area, where a French boy and girl were in the somewhat uncertain throes of cooking us dinner. This was supposed to be ready for us at five, although I think five came and went before they got around to turning the ovens on. Minute steak and rice eventually happened. On stage things were sounding loud but controlled. I remember this from last time. Andy, new boy on monitors, was still working well. After last night's fiasco with the guitars, I was relieved to hear the system's working okay. Things had been hired. And we're back! And we've just been giggling some more at, <laughs> at the lyrics of Mr. <laughs> Mr. Christopher Neal, um, which, which we are going to have to ask him about, uh, poor lad. He's going to get a T-shirt all of his own. Mm. Um, but yes, anyway, um, not a lot so of first bit of diary. That. Oh, go on, who's saying? No, no, I'm just saying not a lot of people would wear that, but, but there we are. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> a certain type, obviously. I think most of that certain type actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, most of that certain type of doing this podcast, I think. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, 1996. Mm. 1996. Cool. Modern I know. times. I know. I know. So, where did we start? Did we start in 91? Uh, when did, when did, yes. It is, it's 91. 91 yes. and 97, this first volume. So, we're, yes. we're getting through. We're well through. So we've done we've done 
one, two, three. We've done five years, haven't we? Yeah, we're nearly three, three quarters of the way through. Bloody hell. And you end 90, you no, end we're 95. Not. We're further. Shit, I'm talking. Oh, we're a lot further. I'm talking out of my arse. Um, yeah, we were like seven eighths through. Seven eighths of the way through. Okay. Um, and, and you finish at the end in my, because I've got the paperback. I haven't got the posh one you've got. Oh, okay. But April, actually, no, it's, it's 96. I've got a picture of a flower in mine. You've, you've, you've drawn a flower. Yeah, 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 it's one, that's one of them. Yeah, I'd say scribble them on birthday cards and whatnot. Mm. Nice, nice. Anyway, 96, and it looks like you've had a little break, or it sounds like you've had a little break, and you're then doing some dates in Holland. So this is before you start thinking about doing any work on TSE, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's or right, if you could Anthony. see that expression, That's right, listeners. Anthony, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I you disappear off on a know. Sunday. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, by the sounds of things, you disappear off on a Sunday. Oh, hang on a bit. What? I'm just noticing. Well, 1996 is about five pages long. Is it? So, yeah, we're into 97 uh, in oh. almost no time. I might have to do 96 in one reading. Yeah. Right, even even though we've even though they've already heard it. <laughs> have they heard it? Well, what yeah, you've just read it. I haven't just... Oh, I have just read it. Of course yeah. I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll edit that out. Yes, good point. Do you know what? It's five pages. You are going to have to do it all in one go. So, yes. Right. A whole or rather, you've just done it all in one I go. Did, yes, I did a whole year in one in one uh, episode. Can you can you tell me I've read it? <laughs> Oh, it's falling apart this morning. Well, let's start again. Go and we're back. <laughs> right, go on, let's start again. And we're back. Yay! And that was 1996. Good God. A whole Literally year. Literally all of it. Yeah, a whole year in one... In, in, I mean, I wonder what happened that year. I'm, well, I'm, not a lot. It's only in five pages. Well, I, the, that's, that's the interesting thing because that might imply that an awful lot happened uh, and... Uh, I couldn't sit down and write anything. So well, either nothing much happened or, or everything happened. Well, I think we've kind of covered it, haven't we? Because we've talked about this before. So this is April and you do a few dates in Holland and around and about. Um, and they, they're obviously on the back of... They're, they're the TS... Sorry, they're the AOS shows by the sound of things so it's a mm. it's like a little bit of a um a comeback on on that tour but mm. then of course you go you go away and you write tse don't you and at the same time you're also working on ice cream genius yeah that's right so that's what happened in the rest of the year i must have um i must have stayed home and tried to write stuff yeah for, mm. for the rest of 96 because by 90s i want to record it because by 97 uh, I'm just looking forward now to 9th of Feb, the next entry, is is the H brand at the garage in London. So I must have written and recorded ICG and not yeah. written anything. De- so, so yes, it's not that not much happened. It's it's that so much happened I didn't have so time to write, write the diary. No, no. Of course, for the purposes of the podcast, it would have been really handy had you have done, had you have written it down. It would have been, would have been terrific, um, yeah. because I've got all of these vague memories of 
you know, uh, Dave and Chucho dressing up to do the overdubs. <laughs> you know, I'd got them in fancy dress doing the doing the overdubs in the studio and then Louis Jardim came down and then we moved over to um, Cookham by the river when, when um, Chris Rea popped in. I mean, I've told all of these stories, but it would have been lovely to actually have, have had them written down from the time they were occurring because I'll have forgotten so much of the detail because mm. um, it, it was a lot of fun making that record as well. Mm. Well, anyway, back to, your, back to your few days of your diary. So mm. nice, nice bit of playing uh, live over sort of Holland and that neck of the woods. Uh, yeah. Slight challenge with you trying to do something clever with your passport again. Cologne. <laughs> And giving it to Paul and then needing it to actually get onto an aeroplane. <laughs> so You so can't that's... win with passports, I find. Well, I, There's I, nothing I... you can do with them, really, you know. <laughs> no, you see, I'm going to disagree with you there and I'm going to maybe give you something that might stand you in good stead for the future. Mm. Hang on to your own passport is the kind of golden rule with passports. Uh, yeah, I, I think you do... need it to allow you to pass through a port. Yeah, I mean, I'd be at the front of the queue for having something sewn in, you know, or, a, <laughs> you know, a chip in the wrist or something, yeah. you know, something stapled onto my forehead um, would be the way forward for me because then I couldn't lose it. I couldn't give it away. I couldn't put it in a, on a tour bus <laughs> when I'm going on the train. Any of those things, you know. Or on your ear, around the back of your earlobe, just stapled mm. on like a bloody goat like a, like a set of washing instructions <laughs> they put them on cattle don't they they have these kind of things don't they that they staple onto their ears like little lead weights yeah but i've never seen cattle trying to get through ethrow no but it'd be handy though if they did well it wouldn't it create an almighty cue <laughs> imagine getting off the plane from Torremolinos and, and there's a herd of jerseys in front of you yeah no, that's true. They'd have a lot of trouble in those automatic passport scanners. <laughs> well, gates. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. It's still one of my favourite jokes, you know. I, I do it with Jack all the time and he quite likes it as well, the old herd of cows. So if you drive, we'll drive along and I'll go herd of cows. Uh, and then I'll go, uh, I'll go herd of cows, Jack, and he'll go, of course I've heard of cows, Dad. Uh, Sorry, it's, I guess you have to be there. No, no, it's hysterical, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> You're wasted at this lark. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think I've hit my level. <laughs> I think we should just wrap up here because really this is just... This oh, is you gonna... should. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is, this is going to go down as, as, as one of those TCDs. Yeah, so they get are they getting increasingly wayward? I think I think they are. Um, are they? Well, or are they all right? Know. I don't know. I think we're still all right. Oh, I think okay. we start a lot of lot of good stuff. Do you know what? Even this week's been all right because I think get that stuff about holidays is really interesting. So I think that's fine. And we've got an entire year's worth of diary slammed mm. into one episode. Oh. So that's good. Um, and and I think just it's just okay. This week we haven't done our normal quite. We're not quite being as diligent as we normally would be. No, no. You know, well, we've I know set that, ourselves you know, a low bar uh, that we've just managed to... 
I know that Lucy has sort of sworn me to not spilling any beans on uh, on TCD, but um, I can at least say that as far as the new album, which we now all know, don't we, is called An Hour Before It's Dark, as yep. far as An Hour Before It's Dark is concerned, um, we're done recording as of yesterday. We had, the band had a bit of a meeting yesterday afternoon um, and listened through all of Mike's roughs, made a few notes, but nonetheless it was obvious that, that all it needs is mixing now. It's sounding really, really good. Um, so a lot of excitement in the beat combo at the moment. I think I think we've got something that will follow fear and that was always my greatest fear that we 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 wouldn't be able to follow it and i th i think we have mm. so um, look out folks what a great place to finish in which case i'll talk to you next week and we'll try and be a we'll try and be back to our normal level of diligence <laughs> was that the royal we <laughs> no, it was more me actually, but <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Royal, yeah. God. God. <laughs> I think you're fine. I won't be. Oh no, I'm losing it this morning. <laughs> is that is that bloody Australian website that's done it? Yes. What is it like a a rat with a gold tooth? What was it? A flash is a rat with a gold tooth. Uh, flash but, is a rat with a gold tooth. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. That is a great phrase. Yeah, where I feel like I've been far more like a few kangaroos loose in the top paddock. <laughs> the top paddock. <laughs> a few kangaroos loose in the top paddock, mate. Oh, don't come the raw prawn. I'm going to use that. It's the raw prawn. I'm using that. <laughs> don't come the raw prawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you next week. All righty. Toodlepip. Now, what can I do for the crinket? Once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong Under the shade of a coonabar tree And he sang as he watched and waited while his billy boiled You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me And he sang as he watched and waited while his billy boiled You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me up jumped a whatnot, landed in his tucker bag, fled for its life up his coolie bar tree. What the hell does that mean? Got to be Australian. You'll come a waltzing, Matilda, with me. Good to be purple, thanks for subscribing. Rosalind Bull and Peter Madsen, too. What would I do if I didn't have you? You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me Good to be purple, good to be purple Come a-waltzing in purple with me And we'll sing as we watch and wait while our <laughs> uh, Billy's boil <laughs> You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me Flash is a rat with a gold tooth Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.